Welcome to the Prep Baseball Report California podcast. We have a special show for you today. We will go one-on-one with CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygod, who will talk to us a little bit about the present and the future of baseball in the CIF Southern Section. Welcome back to the Prep Baseball Report California podcast. I'm really excited about our next guest. He is a graduate from Long Beach Wilson High School where he played football and basketball. He was also the ASB president. Taught at Lakewood High School for 14 years. In 1998, he became the athletic director and the baseball coach at Lakewood. In 2000, he was uh, appointed the assistant commissioner of CIF. And in 2011, he was named the ninth commissioner in CIF Southern Section history. I'm pleased to have uh, Commissioner Rob Wygod with us on the podcast. Commissioner Wygod, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for spending some time with us. Well, thanks for having me, Les. It's a, a pleasure to be with you. I do. Let me, sorry to correct one quick thing. Uh, I spent 14 years at Lakewood High uh, coaching football, baseball, and being an athletic director. And then I was the head baseball coach at Los Alamitos High School uh, for a couple of years before coming to CIF in 2000. So um, the, the head coach at Lakewood is a guy that by the name of Spud O'Neill that I worked with for 14 years, and Spud's heading towards his 900th win. So I didn't want it to be uh, misunderstood that I was the coach at Lakewood because he's still there, and uh, I worked with him for many years. He's a great, great guy, and as I said, he's uh, creeping up on 900 wins, which is a truly phenomenal accomplishment in high school baseball. So. Sorry about that, but I did want a, a slight correction there. No, no, much appreciated. I, you know, no disrespect to Coach O'Neill, a great guy as you mentioned. Uh, so I appreciate the correction there. But yeah, uh, Rob, before before we get started, uh, I wanted to publicly and uh, personally pass along our belated condolences uh, to you, to the entire CI of Southern Section Office. Uh, on the passing of Glenn Martinez. I got to know Glenn a little bit here the last oh, three, four years. Uh, just a great man, uh, always willing to take a call from me, always wanted to talk about players. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences with Glenn and just working with him uh, in your roles there at CIF? Well, thank you for you know your, your condolences. And uh, it has been a big loss for us. Glenn was a good friend. Uh, actually someone that I met on the baseball field in uh, 1987 as we were going through a playoff run when I was at Lakewood and he was at Bishop Amat. And, you know, we remained friends over the years uh, when, you know, he worked at different schools and I was at different schools. But when the time came uh, to replace myself, I uh, became commissioner of the Southern Section in August of 2011. Uh, my first task was to hire my replacement as I had been an assistant commissioner for 11 years and uh, Glenn was was the choice and, and I think a great choice for us. And I uh, really appreciated how much he cared about this organization and most importantly, the student athletes and coaches and administrators and people we serve. And so he was a big part of our team and did a wonderful job in the time that he was with us. And, uh, you know, it's been a very difficult time for myself and our staff uh, to have uh, lost him. But, you know, as always, you you pick up the pieces and you move forward and we're doing that. But it's nice of you to acknowledge Glenn and his contributions because he truly uh, was a great, great guy. One hundred percent agree with you on that point. Uh, Commissioner Wygod, this is unquestionably one of the busiest times of the year for you guys. Spring season championships are getting going. Uh, Obviously, we are a baseball podcast, so we'll talk about that a little bit. 
Well, we had a podcast recently with some coaches. There was some discussion, some you know, some sentiment shared about the Division One seeding process and the teams that are in it and and the games that are being played. Now we understand there's a committee that that is you know, decides, makes their recommendations, uh, or, or maybe they make the decisions. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about kind of the committee, uh, that formulates these brackets, how the committee's formed, you know, just tell us a little bit, maybe the frequency with which they meet and some of the topics that they discuss. We have a baseball coaches advisory committee, and it is made up of, uh, probably somewhere between 35 and 40 coaches. And they represent all geographic areas of our section. They represent all of our divisions and their job are to be the eyes and ears for the Southern section in terms of baseball during this particular season and every season. Their primary purpose is to be, as it says, an advisory committee. They want to look at our current rules. They want to look at how those uh, affect baseball, what uh, rules could change, they have the power to do that in the sport of baseball. Some people don't understand that myself as commissioner, I don't make the rules and I don't even have standing to formulate rules, proposals, or wave a wand and change things. The entire rulemaking process is done through our member schools, through our leagues, or through our advisory committees. So the baseball committee occupies that role. And then the other thing they do that's very important to us is that they do rankings every single week of the regular season and uh, keeping track of the different divisions and sending those to us each week. And I know you follow it and you see us publish those every Monday. And the culminating activity of those rankings is at the end of the regular season to help use those rankings to guide our seeding of the playoff brackets. So those are very important in terms of the rankings. The coaches are the ones that should do it. You know, myself or our director of communications, assistant commissioner, Tom Simmons, you know, it's not for us to sit in an office and try to rank baseball teams. We haven't seen them play, but our coaches advisory committee has seen them play and they are in communication with coaches in their division and in their geographic area. And so they, they really are the best people to do the rankings and have the eyes on our baseball programs. And that's maybe a short explanation of what the baseball advisory committee's role is. Thanks. One one point you brought brought up there was was the rules, right? And you and I talked a little bit before we started the podcast here about just kind of the rules and and some the rules that are involved with seeding, particularly when it comes to the playoffs uh, and, and that nature. You also mentioned that the coaches have the power to change those rules. Can you elaborate a little bit on? What are some of the rules that play a role in the seeding when it comes to the brackets? And, and what is the process for, uh, you know, you mentioned bringing a rules initiative to the table. Uh, obviously, it's going to be voted on and then passed or not. Um, so what is that process like? Well, I'll go first about uh, the seeding rules. And I understand, too, actually, if you didn't know, I was a member of the Baseball Coaches Advisory Committee when I was the head coach at Los Alamitos. So right before I came to work at the Southern Section Office, I was on the Baseball Advisory Committee. The uh, situation with our seating rules, and this is where sometimes an advisory committee like baseball, and we have them in, in virtually all of our sports, they operate with a focus on baseball, as they should. That's what their primary involvement is. What they sometimes don't realize is 
as an organization, we do things across the board, so to speak. The seeding rules we follow are the seeding rules we follow in all of our sports, not just baseball. So some of these rules are and have been in place for many, many years. So for example, I told you a minute ago about the rankings. We will take the rankings from the Baseball Advisory Committee and apply those to seeding the bracket. And all of this information is contained in a document called the, the CIF Southern Section Baseball Playoff Bulletin. It's posted on our website under uh, the sport of baseball. So these rules that we're gonna talk about as they relate to seeding are published and out there for everyone to know. We're a transparent group. We don't have secrets on that. It's not, well, how did they do this? They're very clear, you know, seeding or what we call bracketing rules that we have to follow. And as I mentioned, they're not just for baseball, they're for all of our sports. So the first thing we want to do is seed our top teams. And in our publications, we commit that we will seed the top four. But being honest with you, and again, with our committees and, and other people out there, we try to seed as deeply as we can. So we seed the top four, and then we begin to look at beyond the top four, and then we're bound by a couple of really important factors. One of the factors is when you have two teams in a league, one is the league champion and then the second place team, they must be placed in opposite halves of the bracket. So let's say your number one seeded team is in this division one bracket, Orange Lutheran High School from Trinity League. So they go into the number one spot. Well, the second place team in the Trinity League this year was Jay Sarah. So Jay Sarah cannot be in the top half of the bracket. The 16 teams at the top half, Jay Sarah can't be there because first and second place teams can't be in the same half of the bracket if they're in the same league. So then Jay Sarah would go down to the bottom. The next thing that we have to do is in each group of eight teams, what we call the quarter brackets, because it's a 32 team draw, four groups of eight. You can't have the same league represented twice in a group of eight schools. So again, if we're using the Trinity League example, and you just have to kind of bear with me on a hypothetical. So the second place team was Jay Sarah, and let's say the third place team, Santa Margarita, which actually is not in Division One, but if they were, they would have to be in a different group of eight or a different quarter than Orange Lutheran at the very top, or Jay Sarah in one of the two groups of eight in the bottom, you'd have to play Santa Margarita in one of the two groups of eight that are left. And so those are some things that, that when you're doing seeding, you, you sometimes can't follow every single number, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, because you might run across the number four seed is the second place team in the Trinity League. Well, if number one is in their spot, Orange Lutheran, and Jay Sarah was number four, you can't put them at number four. They can't even be in that half of the bracket. So they got to drop down to the, to the bottom half of the bracket. And so those are some of the factors where people, you know, are confused because they think, well, this doesn't make sense. And how come you haven't been able to follow your seeding numbers in the final? And what they basically do is they look at our top 10 in the last week of the season and they say, well, why couldn't they just put everybody in their spots in the top 10? In some situations, you can't do that because of those couple of factors that I just mentioned to you. Right. But so, so, but, so, but let me let me quickly, and I promise, I know that was kind of long, but let me just, in the Division One bracket this year, you will notice that there were 19 first place teams. We didn't have to change any of the top 16 because every one of the top 16 were first place teams. So we had no factors 
that would have disrupted that one through 16. And we were able to do that. We placed the one through 16 teams right out of the top 10 poll at the end of the season. Those were the top 16 spots in the division one bracket this year. And then we actually had three more first place teams that had to match up against other first place teams. And if you notice the bracket, the three first place teams that were not in the top 16, they played number 14, number 15, and number 16. So through 19 teams, we had every single one of them in the spot they should have been, one through 19. Where people get confused again is, well, why, you know, talking to Eric Barbador and Ruthven, I should be playing the 32nd best team, and I'm not doing that. And I'm saying, Eric, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. We're not seeding one through 32. We're seeding as far as we can. And then, as I mentioned, all of those 16 first place teams that were the top 16, the other third, three first place teams, the second place teams from any of those leagues then had to be placed in the other half of the draw. And once you do that, all of a sudden it's not 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Some of those numbers are going to get jumbled up because you're having to put teams on the other half of the bracket because their league champion was seeded one through 16. Got it. So you you mentioned there that you're not seeding, right? One through 32. And obviously there's rules in place um, that that are, are maybe prohibiting that. Uh, the other thing you mentioned there though is that these rules have been in place for many, many, many years. Um, is this something where these rules may uh, be outdated given the the you know geography and the topography covered by the southern section and the you know the amount of teams uh, that are in the section? Do you think that maybe these rules um, need to be revisited or updated to eliminate some of that? Because it seems to me as though if you have a a third place team or a second place team from a league, right, it could be that the second place team, you know, maybe came in second, let's just, again, use a hypothetical, by four games, right? So maybe not very competitive uh, with the first place team, yet we are granting that second place team an opportunity to potentially meet that first place team, but not until the semifinals. So I guess that my confusion is, not my confusion, but my my lack of understanding is, you know, why are why are the rules not being, you know, at least looked at or addressed? And it seems though every year when the brackets come out, we have this argument that, okay, yes, we all understand this is the hardest championship to win. Uh, you know, the ton the, the talent, all that good stuff. But there's always argument about, okay, you know, why are we not playing, you know, like you said, the conversation you had, why am I not playing the 32nd place team in this, in this tournament? Instead, you know, I'm playing a pretty good team, uh, you know, that's not the 32nd best. So what can be done to look at those rules to potentially make it more favorable so that, you know, eventually maybe we do get to a straight one through 32 seating? Well, we absolutely need to look at our rules. I believe we should continue to look at all of our rules. And there have been discussions about the seeding rules for a long time and how they could potentially change. First thing I want to say is I am never going to apologize for having something that is too competitive. I mean, I'm simply not. Mm -hmm. So anybody who feels like, wow, this is so difficult and such a tough bracket and so forth and so difficult to win. Well, you know what? I'm not going to apologize for that. What is Nor it, should you. What Nor is should it supposed you. to be? What is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be easy? 
And I don't believe that. And, and in having discussions, you know, is it a goal of a coach to be the champion of the first round? In other words, wow, you know, we've got this really tough first round game. And if we don't win it, you know, it was unfair and we didn't happen to, you know, to advance into the playoffs. Well, is it your goal to be the champion of the first round? I mean, you're going to be playing people. That's what competitive equity playoffs are. So like I said, I'm really not going to apologize for anybody who tells me this is so competitive. It's too competitive. Well, what's the answer? You really want to have just matchups where you can go out and beat somebody 10 to nothing and move on to the next round. Nobody has an interest in that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see, everybody wants to see good competition among teams that should be playing each other. Right. And, and I don't think that the necessarily complaints might not be the right word that they're, that I use, but the the comments made by coaches and such are, are never that it's too tough, right? Everyone wants to play the best competition. I think the comments go that it's made tougher because of the format, right? And we can get into that here in a minute, but I want to stick on this topic here of the yeah. of these of these rules for a second. Yeah, of course, of course. Because well, because you know, I I the the idea of, you know, at PBR we're, we're a national company, we're in 42 states, you know, and I talk to my colleagues in other states and when we talk about the fact that the CIF Southern section, you know, is this, the way it's set up, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, they don't necessarily get it. And if guys out of state aren't getting it, you know, there's plenty of people in state that aren't getting it. And so what I want to know is how is it and, and what do we need to do? What needs to be done from either a CIF's perspective, a coach's perspective, a fan's perspective to get a, a just the best possible tournament scenario where we are seeding one through 32 and because i mean let's face it we're we're accustomed to that right the march madness bracket all this that so which by the way is a one and done tournament and what makes it so special it's a one and done tournament correct so i keep hearing the other rumblings about well doggone it this is so darn competitive in division one we need to make a double elimination and we need to do these other things and fine we can talk about that because again ultimately I don't make these rules. Our schools do. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, you know, you, you, there needs to be some consistency in in the discussion because the March Madness and everyone talks about how wonderful it is and exciting it is. And there's upsets and there's lower seated teams knocking off higher seated teams. It's a one and done. And we have the same thing. But I, I still want to get to your original point. The rules right. as they sit today, if we went to one through 32, here are a couple of things that people have, will have to consider. One, it is difficult to go one through 32 unless you're using like power ranking, some kind of computer formula. And we can do that. We do that now, but, but we need to do that at the end of the regular season. And to be able to do that, you've got to have every single game from every single one of our 500 plus schools, every score of every game of every school must be done and finished by the end of the regular season into the uh, into the system that can calculate power rankings. So that's what you'd have to do. Because if you're not using power rankings and you're doing it subjectively, it's very easy to identify number one and number two and number three. And it isn't always that difficult to identify number 31 and 32. It's just like scouting where, where, baseball. Where you're, you're going to run into it is, what's the difference between 17 and 19? What's the difference between 24 and 27? I mean – you start getting into the weeds on that stuff. If you're not using some kind of a, a, a formula-driven power ranking system, how are you subjectively going to sit there and go, 
what's the difference between 25 and 26? And, and then I think you really understand that's a very, very difficult thing to do. If you're going to just eliminate geography, you're going to eliminate the same leagues meeting up in different times. And then that becomes another part of it. People are going to have to get comfortable that in the first round, if I'm number 16 and I'm first place in my league and number 17 is the second place team in my league, I'm playing them in the first round. In the first round, I'm going to play my own league team, number 16 against number 17. So people have to get comfortable with that. They might be playing their own league team in the second round. And, and that's not always something that people really like. So back to how this happens. And I told the baseball coaches who are interested in this, I said, if you put this forward as a baseball only proposal, I don't think you're going to get much traction with it. Because I think the voters who are our principals and athletic directors, every league in our section, there's 88 leagues, they all have a single vote and they make our rules. It's called the Southern Section Council. But the voters aren't baseball coaches. The voters are our principals and our athletic directors representing each of the leagues in our section. So I have suggested if they really are interested in this, it needs to be a, a broad-based proposal for all sports. And, and let's put it out there and let's see what our leagues and our section feel about that. So as I said, they're, they're going to have to – we have the capability to do the power rankings. We have the capability, but we better have our section schools – all 500 plus of them doing their part by entering the data that we have to have. We have to have every game. We won't have accurate power rankings without every score of every game. That's a big part that they have to take on. If they do that, we can take that information. We can create divisions at the end of the regular season. We can then seed them exactly as these power rankings come out, one through 32, regardless of league, regardless of first and second place, regardless of seeing each other in the quarterfinals before second round or before, all that is possible. And when we started competitive equity playoffs, I was very clear to everybody. The goal would eventually be to do divisions at the end of the year, at the end of the regular season, so that we could truly accurately at the end of the regular season, put everybody in the right division and seed them appropriately through a formula based process. And that's what we're working towards. But we haven't got what, there yet. What, what, this, this what's is year three? This is year three of the competitive system where, you know, like let's and again, I'm not trying to make this about the Trinity League, but it's just an example. First place and second place Trinity League teams are in division one, but the third place Trinity League is in division two. Okay, the old system didn't do that. All three Trinity League teams would be in division one. But our new system, this is our third year, you know, the teams are ranked before the season started, using the last two years of their performance in our playoffs also regular season schedules and strength of schedules. And then we do our power rankings for, before the season and set our divisions. So there can be teams in the same league in different divisions. The only thing that, that, that makes this even better is to, again, incorporate the current regular season into the power rankings that we publish before the season starts and then give yourself as accurate a power ranking as you can have at the end of the regular season. And that's the, the ultimate goal of this thing. Uh, but we're only in year three. And, and there's a big step that's necessary, and that's the ability of our schools to enter every score of every game, and that's still a work in progress. Our schools are not all still doing that in the timely manner they need to do it, and it's a challenge when you're in a, a section this big. So I can appreciate you know, San Diego and these other folks with their eight-team brackets and different things that they do. We're running seven 32-team brackets and you know, 250 teams 
involved in our championship playoffs. And, and some of the other sections just aren't running into that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, those are some challenges that we face. Yeah. Commissioner Wagon, you just, you just laid out, I think, to me, the ideal scenario, right? I mean, it, it totally is. I mean, it you is. go off power rankings, you do the division seedings at the end of the year. So a yep. team like this year, Bonita, who is on fire, would have a chance to compete at division one, I, I would think. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe, right? I, I mean, yeah. you know, that that's, and and then you get your, your seedings, you know, certainly a team like San Dimas might have the, that opportunity to move up. And, and and then you reseed everything at the end and yep. you put everybody in divisions and there you have it. Exactly. So now, so that's been presented to coaches, I presume, correct? Well, sure it has. And, it, and it's not just a baseball. It's been presented to everybody. And I'll tell you. Is the biggest hangup really the entrance of the scores? If we have a hundred schools missing schedules and scores, we can't do accurate power rankings because the way the power rankings work is I'm Benita and I play San Dimas. I have to get the score in there because when I, Benita, play San Dimas, that result, if I beat them or I didn't beat them, that result affects my power ranking and it affects San Dimas's power ranking. So right. it's everybody I play and then everybody that, that San Dimas plays. It, it's a, you know what I mean? It's all connected because to truly get the power ranking formula, it's who you play, what the result is, and who they are and who they've played. And, and how good they are, because then that is how your power ranking is developed. So, less the, the technology is there. We're ready to go. But if we're missing 100 schools with their complete and accurate scores and the regular season's over, there's no way in the civilized world that we can create accurate power rankings. And the worst thing you would ever want to happen is – you do these power rankings, they're not accurate, and now you've got a team, you know, two divisions below where they belong. That's not good. Or you've got teams that are in divisions that, you know, that are above them. Right. So trust me, it can be done, but it's it's a little bit of a work in progress because our schools have to get used to the idea. And what we'd really like them to do is put the scores in as they happen. See, what happens now is they have to definitely have them in by the end of the regular season so that we can do, you know, get all the results, the league standings. We know who the first, second, third place teams are in these leagues. But they don't do this, you know, in a timely manner. They wait till the very end. And then again, schools are still missing stuff. So the league, the league will send us here's first, second and third place and all their records and scores. But fourth, fifth and sixth place didn't put their stuff in and they didn't make the playoffs. So, okay. But the fourth, fifth, and sixth place teams, their information is still relevant to everybody they played. And so their information needs to be there as well. And so right. we, we are, you know, again, it's our third year. We're better at it than we were in year one, but it's a culture change. And I talked about this when we started. It's a culture change. It has to be second nature that every score, every game, every sport goes in. And uh, like I said, the best way for that to happen would be as they happen during a season. Because I'll tell you what else we want to do. We want to be the source for accurate scores and standings throughout the season. We want people to be able to come right to our website and go, hey, what are the standings in the baseline league? Because everybody in the baseline league, after they played baseball games on Tuesday, the scores went in Tuesday night, and now on Wednesday morning, we have updated baseline league standings through the first nine games of the regular season in their league. And then after the 10th game, we're going to have accurate baseline league standings. And we've got 70-plus baseball leagues. 
And we'd love to have all 70 plus baseball leagues with every single score of every single game in a timely manner so we could be able to be a source of exactly up to the date standings for all of our leagues as we go through the season. So those are the ultimate goals here. And I, I would think anybody who's a fan of high school sports would want to see that happen. But there is a culture change going on where the information has to come from the people who have the information. And at, at some point, we're going to go through with this and we're going to do it. But I will tell you this, the penalty for not putting your stuff in is you can't go to the playoffs. So do you think we want to have 50 schools who don't get their stuff in, who should be coming into the playoffs in baseball saying, sorry, you're, you know, your athletic director didn't put the scores and schedules in at the end of the regular season. We couldn't put your team in the playoffs because we didn't have an accurate power ranking for you. And it still hurts the other schools because they, without the, the schools putting stuff in, it hurts them because their accurate power ranking doesn't include six games against teams who didn't put their scores in. And then we go forward and sit a bunch of kids out of the playoffs because adults didn't enter scores into a computerized system. I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to do that yet. Right, right. And it seems to me that if, if, if teams and coaches and programs are able to have somebody manage their Twitter, their game changer, their anything else stuff, I yep. think they can probably manage you know, submitting a score. Totally um, but that, that, that's, that's really exciting to hear that, Commissioner Wygod, because I think you know, that is a, ultimately the ideal scenario. And I think what you've done, in my opinion at least, is you've put this back on the plate of the schools, uh, which is where the responsibility should be, right? Because you're not yeah. going to, you you and your people in your office are not going to be responsible for tracking down scores for 500 plus teams. That's just, no. that's absurd. No, and we're not, not going to enable them. If they're right. not doing their job, right. I can't, trust me, we could try to do it. We could put some, you know, one on it, but then we're just enabling yeah. And, and remember, Les, this isn't just a baseball-only issue. We'd mm-hmm. like to do the same thing in soccer. We'd like to do the same thing in softball. Yep. We'd like to do the same thing in football, you know? And and that was always the idea when we started competitive equity playoffs three years ago, that eventually what we started with was not what we were going to have down the road. The best and most accurate competitive equity playoff system includes the current regular season. And we're going to keep trying to get there. But like I said, it, it isn't something that happens immediately. It, it takes a little time to embed the culture into our schools that you understand this is necessities. You've got to do this for everybody. And and I think we can get there. I do. I'm, I'm not at all you know pessimistic about that. I just think it's not something that will happen in one year, even two years, three years. We're definitely better than we were. And, and I think we're going to continue to get better. And then we're going to pull the trigger and say, this is going to happen now. And understand the consequences if your information is not in there. You're not going to get to go to the playoffs. And we yeah. may have to go through that. We may have to go through that with some really difficult growing pains. But it's going to take a lot of change because it's not only that. I'm going to go back quickly to what I said earlier. It means that I might play my own league team in the first round. I might play my own league team in the second round. I might be in, in a situation that I'm not used to. But if I truly believe one through 32, then I have to accept that and embrace that and and not let that be a problem. And that'll be up to our voters. That'll be up to our schools, you know, if they want to do that. And so the process is a proposal would come forward. And I again, I'm going to say it should come multi-sport. It shouldn't be just baseball because then we're going to deal with each sport individually. And that's going to take even more of a, of a process and, and bog it down. It would need to come through like it did originally, multiple sports. 
This is what we're going to do. We're going to take the two previous years. We're going to set the divisions before the season starts. And then we're going to use the current regular season. And at the end of that season, the real playoff divisions will be formulated and the brackets done and the seeding following the power rankings that we have at the end of the current regular season. And off we're going to go. And that that's 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 the future of competitive equity playoffs. And as I said, I think we're working towards it. We just may not be there yet in 2019. I, I love it. I, I love where where it's going. And I love what you just laid out with that. Now, 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 let's talk about not that, you know, my opinion uh, it makes or breaks anything, obviously. But let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of with an eye on the future, if you will. You know, we talked about the potential of eventually doing, you know, this full seating, seating teams one through 32, regardless of previous years, division, all that good stuff. In there, is there any consideration to, and you touched on it, San Diego and I believe uh, LA City section, uh, with their open divisions, a double elimination format. Is there any consideration to that? Or is there any, uh, so, yeah, okay, before I ask my follow-up, yeah, is there any consideration to the possibility of doing an open division, double elimination format. Sure. And, and it was actually proposed, but it, it got defeated. And, and again, the baseball coaches advisory committee came forward with, I thought, a very reasonable proposal about doing that exact thing. It came to the Southern Section Council. As I mentioned, it's the council of our leagues. Every league gets one vote. There's approximately 88 leagues, but those are principals, athletic directors, people like that. They're not baseball coaches. That group voted that proposal down. So what does the Baseball Advisory Committee do? They, they don't have to let it go away forever. They can keep discussing it. Why was it voted down? I don't know. I don't vote. I'll give you a couple of thoughts. One, administrators, it's more games. It's more students out of class if they have to go on long trips. It's more cost for busing and transportation, even officials. It's a sport that they're not charging at the gate for admission. And those were some concerns I heard expressed. Another thing expressed is we don't have any other sport that allows for championships after a team has lost. If you think about it, every one of our sports is a one and done. And so some folks saying, wait, wait, why does baseball get, you know, a dispensation that we don't have in soccer? You know, I lose my first round soccer game, but I get another chance to come back and try to win the championship. Is, um, is that is that a fair argument, though, given the nature of the sport of baseball oh, I, compared I'm, I'm to not, the sport? Yeah, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to say it's a fair argument or not. I'm just trying to present some of the objections uh, or some of the reasons that people had mentioned that they weren't supporting the double elimination format. Fair enough. And I will tell you this, Les. I've been here 19 years. And uh, I, what I love, and it's, it's kind of a, a fun thing around here, but I, I sit in coaches' advisory committee meetings all the time. And if I had a dollar for every coach's advisory committee who told me their sport was unique, I would be well retired and living somewhere in the lap of luxury. Because every <laughs> single sport, we're unique. We're different. Soccer is different. Water polo is different. Softball is different. Baseball is different. Football is different. They all tell, tell us we're all unique sports. Okay, yeah. yes, there are unique qualities to every single sport. But we're in an organization of multiple sports. And as an organization, you need to be consistent in many of the things that you do. You don't run 14 different championship sports, you know, as completely different animals because you're an organization that's that's an overseeing and overarching organization. Now, I'll still get back to baseball. 
Baseball does have uniqueness to it. Nobody has a pitching limit. Nobody has a limit on the amount of time a student athlete can participate in a contest. Baseball does. Yes, there are tons of formats out there in the junior college level, the collegiate level, all of those that include double elimination, sometimes two out of three, you know, all of those in the sport of baseball are very well accepted and very well understood that that's been a great way uh, of finding out who the very best teams are. But then, you know, you look at the NBA and Major League Baseball and, you know, they play four out of seven, you know, they play series for, you know, advancement or finally for the championship, you know, uh, instead of a one and done kind of thing. And then look at, is no. there, excuse me for interrupting, but is there is there any consideration to that, right? I mean, maybe it's just the championship final, right? That maybe that's a two out of three. Is has there been any consideration to that? Because if you did that, then you know you could do it on a Friday, then Saturday. There's not a whole lot of, you know, I think some of the the reasoning for the double elimination format that you mentioned there before. Those those concerns might be alleviated a little bit if, say, for example, you did a two out of three championship series at you know Cal State Fullerton, for example. Yes. Just throwing yes. that out there. You play it Friday, then Saturday. Yeah, this is easy to be done. And and I'll give you the, exactly the, the way it should should be done. You got a 32 bracket. Now, if you have wild card games, you still got to play them. You got a one and done wild card game yep. to get to 32. Now you're in 32. You got four groups of eight, double elimination in those groups of eight. Now you got four winners that emerge. One weekend is the semifinals. You play a game on Friday afternoon, you play a game on Saturday morning. You play a third game on Saturday afternoon if you need it. You don't need lights. You don't need, you know, any facility that, that you know, is not – you can use it. You can use that and play that anywhere in the semifinals. So, again, you go four groups of eight, double elimination. Out of those come four teams. Then you go on a Friday, Saturday. You know, you're not missing class. You're, you're, you're able to do it. Uh, and you do your semis. Then you come back the following weekend. You do a two out of three in your finals, you can take a Cal State Fullerton and you can actually put two divisions in the same site because you can go Friday afternoon at four, Friday afternoon at seven, Friday evening. You come back on Saturday at 10 a.m. and one o'clock. And if you need to go at four o'clock and seven o'clock for Saturday to get a third game in those series, you could do that. So you could have divisions one and two at Cal State Fullerton. You could have divisions three and four at Long Beach State, Blair Field. You could have and you could actually do two championship divisions on the same weekend, two out of three. So it, it's easy in terms of a format that's workable and a format that is, you know, I think would be for baseball coaches would would think it's it's dynamite. I'm in. Now, I'll but, see but you in 2020. But then again, here's your obstacles because you and me is and I consider myself a baseball guy. I mean, I coached it for 17 years before I came here. I had baseball as assistant commissioner for 11 years. I, I think I'm pretty invested in the sport. Here's the deal. I think it's great. The baseball coaches think it's great. It's the principals and athletic directors who are saying more buses to go double elimination in the, in the groups of eight. What happens if I've got to go on Friday and I'm coming from Santa Barbara and I'm going to play at Capistrano Valley? Well, if I'm coming down from Santa Barbara to Capistrano Valley for a Friday game in a two out of three series and I'm going to have a Saturday game, well, then I'm going to have to find hotel accommodations. I'm going to have to you know, pay for transportation and meals and hotels. And in a section as large as ours, those are easy, easy possibilities where schools may have to travel enough that they're going to end up staying overnight. And, and so where is this money going to come from? 
You know, it's not going to come from the gate. It's not going to come from from, you know, charging people admission. It's going to have to come out of the school's student body funds. And and those are some of the obstacles in this concept. Like I said, the concept is awesome. But the people that are going to make the ultimate decision on whether the concept can happen or not are the people that are at a higher level than baseball coaches. And I'm not putting the coaches down, but they're looking at it from the coaching aspect. What a great tournament. What a great opportunity. But the other people are paying the bills. The other people are going to deal with kids, you know, having to leave if they're going to play three games. You know, are we going to do that double elimination with the eight teams? Are we going to do all three games in one week? Which, with the pitching limitation, the coaches probably wouldn't like that. You know, so now you've extended that season a little bit more because you're not going to finish the eight team groups double elimination in one week because they're going to go. We're going to run out of pitching by the way we get to get to that third game, and that third game maybe is the most important game of all. So it might be spread out over a couple weeks, and then your costs, your time out of class, your travel. All that's going to increase. And then, like I said, these weekends where you're going to play semis and finals, easy format, you know, easy. But what are the costs involved? And sometimes the coaches don't think about that, but the administrators do because they have to. And so, like I said, those are some things, just being honest. And then that's not even addressing this whole concept of, well, baseball is going to do this, but nobody else does it. And sometimes there's a lot of thought in our section and through our leagues and the administrators you know, why are we doing everything for one sport that we wouldn't do for others? I know what the answer is. Baseball is unique. And maybe there are definitely some unique qualities to baseball that are different from any other sport. And maybe it should be considered that way and treated differently. But I'm just trying to lay out for you through my experiences here and dealing with people who are involved. You know, the coaches have a definite mindset, but they're focused on their sport as they should be and what's best for their sport. They forget they're not in a vacuum. They're in an organization of multiple sports. And the people who really make the decisions on things like this are not the coaches. It's the people above the coaches. And this is some of the realities that we're living in as we start looking at double elimination or things like that. Yeah, those are all those are all really <clears throat> excuse me, excellent points. You you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to touch on, and, and I hope that you know we're good on time here for you. Um, you talked about the section size. Now, Coach Weber in our podcast last week brought up that there's seven sections in Division One, uh, or sorry, seven sections in Southern Section, seven divisions in the Southern Section. Excuse me, uh, with the uh, 500 plus schools you've mentioned, and you know, for example, San Diego, I believe he mentioned has the same number of divisions with about a third of the schools. Is there any? Is there an opportunity? Does it make sense to uh, what if what research have you guys done on the potential of either increasing the number of divisions uh, or maybe for some of the northern schools like you you know you mentioned Santa Barbara uh, schools up in that area potentially maybe seeding into a different section? Well, you know the it's always up to the schools where they want to be. I mean, if, if schools like we had our schools up in the very far north, San Luis Obispo, Royal Grande, Paso Robles, those folks, they've joined the central section. You know, they felt that the travel, the distance, and some of those things really, it was better for them to be in a different section than ours. I completely respect their decisions on that. They know what's best for them and their schools and, and their student athletes and their communities. No problem with that. About the number of divisions. We have standardized, again, this is a part of, a, and I heard, I did hear that part of it, what John was saying. 
We have 13 football divisions, and they have 16 team brackets. We have seven baseball divisions, and they have 32 team brackets. We have seven softball divisions with 32 team brackets. So we have seven soccer divisions. We have seven, you know, so, I mean, if you're dealing with 32 team brackets, which we are, based on the number of our guaranteed qualifiers, then, you know, so we go to eight divisions or nine divisions or 10 divisions. We're looking at buys. We're looking at teams. We don't have enough teams to fill them or we're going to fill them with that large teams that didn't qualify. Um, you know, as I said, I, I heard John say that and I, I get it, but, you know, I'm still looking at this a little bit more globally. Um, you know, it, it seems to fit the number of schools that we've got and, and we've got it in many, many sports because, again, we're going forward with 32 team brackets and seven divisions. We're getting every automatic qualifier into the draw. We're getting a couple of at-large teams in and, you know, where applicable to where they fit. And so, you know, what what does creating more divisions do for us? Um, yes, we could go down to 16 team brackets and now have 14 divisions and make it easier uh, to win a championship. Okay, I'm still going to come back to what I said to you earlier, Les. I'm not going to apologize for being too competitive. And, and the other thing I'm going to say about that, and we haven't touched on it, is competitive equity playoffs is taking all these factors, size of school, big school, small school, medium size. Uh, I'm a public school. I'm a private school. I'm a charter school. I'm whatever. We have competitive equity playoffs have said, look, none of that stuff matters. Demographics. I have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money. What matters? How good am I? How not good am I? That's the deal. How competitive am I? And I should be placed into a group of schools competitive with me. And that's what we've done. And if you're in different divisions because you're in the same league, that's part of it. But the point is, you're playing the teams you're supposed to play. Some people think, well, competitive equity playoffs means I have to be able to win my championship. I'm in the wrong division if I don't win my championship. That's not true at all. Were you in your division? Did you have a chance to compete? Were you in games? that you were competitive with. That's competitive playoffs. Someone's gonna win it, and someone's gonna deserve to win it because it's gonna be a tough battle to get through it. But that is the essence of competitive playoffs. It's being in a group of schools that you can compete with, whether you're a bigger school or a smaller school, or you have a bunch of money or not, or you're a private or a public, or any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You know, the, the games, again, the two guys that I talked to the most, Cypress and, and Orange Lutheran. They had competitive games yesterday. Competitive games. I think it was three to nothing and five to two. Isn't that what we want? Yes. I mean, that's exactly what we want. And, and you know, Orange Lutheran's a private school and San Clemente is a public. And, and Cypress is a public school and Servite's a private. And you know what? The public school won when Cypress beat Servite and the private school won when Orange Lutheran beat San Clemente. And the most important thing of all, it was three to nothing and it was five to two. They were competitive games with the number one and the number two seeded spots against, okay, they may not have been 31 and 32. But regardless of that, and, you know, the, those were good competitive games. To me, it proves exactly what competitive equity playoffs are supposed to be proving. The right teams are playing each other. And then there's a real, real doubt of who's going to win because it's so competitive that we know anything can happen versus putting a bracket together and saying they're going to go right straight through to the finals. We know they're going to beat everybody by 10 to nothing. Nobody gets anything out of that. The, the student athletes get nothing out of it. The coaches, the parents, the umpires, nobody gets anything out of non-competitive games. And, and that's not just baseball. That's in soccer and water polo and basketball 
and softball and, and all the sports that we're doing this in, we're finding that out. Schools are having closer games and schools that haven't had chances to win are getting chances to win because they're in the right division now versus being pulled into a division by the league they were in or pulled into a division because of their enrollment size. All that's outside now. It's about you, how good you are, how not good you are. And you're playing other teams that are supposed to be grouped in that same competitive level and someone's going to win. And that's what competitive playoffs is doing. So, yeah, you know, create, creating 14 divisions of 16 team brackets for baseball so we can have 14 champions playing at 16 team brackets instead of seven playing in 32s. I'm going to say the same thing. I'm not apologizing for being competitive. I believe we should be competitive. Our other sports are in the same basic configurations of the number of divisions, the number of schools. And, you know, that's that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I just as an observer of the baseball playoffs here for the last several years, I like the model, that competitive model uh, that, that, that you've mentioned here a few times has really shown itself in the postseason, at least in the baseball postseason that I've been following here for the last couple of years. But let, let's shift gears for, for a second here, Commissioner Wygod. And we talked about an open division possibility, you know, and I was in Fresno covering the Fresno Easter Classic recently. And a lot of the the prevailing feeling from many of the coaches I spoke with in the area, uh, the tournament directors and, and, and such is that a state championship is coming. Uh, you know, they, they alluded to the moving up of the schedule uh, across many of the sections. And uh, my understanding is that the central section has in fact submitted a proposal for a state championship. What, what's your take on that? Where do you see that going? Uh, and how do you see that playing out with the Southern section? Well, the proposal's out there, as you said, Les. It's been introduced. It'll be voted on in October. It'll be voted on statewide. We'll get a chance to vote on it first in the southern section. Um, we'll have our meeting first, and then when uh, our section decides yes or no on that, then we're part of a larger organization called the CIF Federated Council. We're one of the 10 sections there. We have the most votes because we're the largest section, and then it'll be voted on statewide uh, in October. And then if it passes, implementation is, I believe, 2021. Uh, it doesn't pass. It doesn't pass. Now, here's our guys. Here's our advisory committee here last Friday, baseball. You know what their take on the proposal of the Central Sections Regional Baseball Championships? What's almost, that? O- almost overwhelmingly no. Our coaches in the advisory committee said, you know what? You get through our section. You win a championship. That's good enough. You know, continuing on for another week, you know, schools are wrapping up, graduation. We might even be out of school by the time that thing gets going. We're not interested. So that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Our section can still vote no. And there's enough sections around the state that can make it happen and vote yes. And it can still happen. And then our section has, you know, every right. Any school who's selected for any state regional championship event does not have to go. They can opt out of it. They can say, no, we're not going to go. School's out. We won our section championship. We're done. I'll tell you what. They might feel that way. You know who doesn't feel that way? Kids, parents. <laughs> you know, you want right. to tell your parents, you want to tell your parents after you win a southern section championship that, oh, the regionals start next week and we're just not going to go. I, I don't think your parents are going to probably think real good about that. Yeah, um, and maybe your kids, you know, your students want to keep playing. So as I said, this is in its introductory stage it's been introduced now it'll be voted on in october we'll see where it goes but you know the first question that's going to be asked of us is what does the baseball advisory committee think 
And the Baseball Advisory Committee in their meeting last Friday basically resoundingly said they're not interested. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it, like I said, the prevailing thought was up there that it's coming. Um, and, you know, I, I, I understand it from their perspective. Uh, you know, that particular area is, you know, obviously very, very deeply rooted in, in baseball. And uh, they have a lot of very good players. But I also understand the point you just made about the advisory committee saying, look, I mean, we, we get through this, the Southern Section Division One championship. I mean, what's what's the point or any yeah, other they, division for that matter? Yeah. Yeah, they think enough's enough. It's like, okay, you know, it's good enough for us. But maybe if I'm in a different section, and I don't know, because I don't know anything about other sections. I only grew up in the southern section. I've only worked in the southern section. I have no idea what it's like to be in a smaller section where maybe it's not the same competitive level that we have in terms of the number of quality teams. I'm not saying they're not competitive. They just may not have the depth that we have. And so, you know, maybe there's some unanswered questions when you win a section championship somewhere else. Hey, you know what? We, we don't know that we were tested as much. We know if we get involved in something statewide, you know, we'll definitely be tested. Our group feels like we've been tested. <laughs> and so, you know, playing a San Diego school or a, or a Fresno school or an L.A. school. Yeah, sure. You know, but but it probably won't take the place of, of what we had to go through the Southern Section Championships, you know, to, to emerge. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm just relaying what I hear coaches say. And um, and that's what their their overwhelming feeling was last Friday when we had a chance to to bring it to them and say, you know, they're going to ask us what you think. And they were very clear. Most of them really didn't didn't see a value in having that and uh, were content to walk off the field, you know, at the end of the Southern Section Championships and and have that be uh, the end of the season for them. Awesome. Yeah. One one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Commissioner Wygod, was just kind of the future of the relationship with your television partner, Fox Sports, you know, as it pertains to baseball, uh, you know, I, I know you guys do a fantastic job of streaming football games during the fall. Uh, is there any thought, have you guys had conversations about, uh, you know, streaming maybe the semifinals? I know Fox does the, the finals generally. Um, uh, has there been any thought of doing the semifinals uh, stream or maybe just doing more streaming of games. Yeah. You know, we are, uh, this is the second to the last year of our current Fox agreement. And so, uh, it runs through the 1920 school year. Fox sports in our agreement, which was a six year agreement when it was signed, committed to 100 CIF Southern section events either through what they call linear television, which is, you know, TV and web. So committing to 100 events through the school year encompassing all sports. So you have to kind of work through the school year. Every week in football, as you know, they do one game on linear television, live television, and they do four more that they stream. So that's five each week times 14 weeks of our season, which is the 10 regular season weeks and four playoff weeks. That's 70 of the 100 events right there in the football season. Mm -hmm. Then you got 30 events left. And typically what happens at that point is Fox will choose different championship finals in various sports, basketball, you know, soccer, other sports that we you know conduct through the school year 
and they make it to their 100 events. If they don't do our championship finals, typically the National Federation of High Schools Network picks them up. And our championship finals, virtually every sport, are streamed by somebody. It may not be Fox, but they're streamed by somebody. So that's that's the 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 overarching agreement with just Fox. But as you know, there's the National Federation Network, and there's also other other you know streaming and, and web companies that are interested in in, in doing our events. Uh, it, it, the interest has to come from the streaming organizations. It's not us. Anybody who wants to stream baseball games is more than welcome to stream baseball games. Uh, the question is, is there interest in that for them? Do they believe they can make it work where it's a profitable uh, arrangement for them? We have a lot of interest in basketball with different web organizations that want to do basketball games. So we're not averse to any of that. We're, we're more than welcome. It's, you know, as I said, Fox has a responsibility to the number that they've committed to, and they get to choose those 100 events. They tell us what they're going to do. And then again, we have the ability after Fox does their 100 to work with secondary providers. And the first one is the National Federation Network, who will you know step in and do what Fox has chosen after the, you know Fox has chosen. And then again, others beyond them. So you know it, it's not something we would ever uh, you know discourage, but you know it's not really something that that we might go out seeking this kind of thing because it's the companies that come to us who, you know, want to set up and have a format for it and believe it can be something that works for them. And um, and that's kind of the environment we're in when it comes to web and, and television. Yeah, it makes total sense from an outside standpoint. Uh, but Commissioner Wygod, I want to thank you very, very much for, for coming on the podcast, sharing your your thoughts, your, your input on many of the topics that we cover today from rules to the committees to rankings to just about everything. You know, I'm, I'm very... Uh, fortunate to have had you on and very thankful that you uh, uh, sacrificed some of your time here to uh, be on with us today. So thanks a bunch. I appreciate it, Les. It's been uh, nice talking sports with you and I'm happy to do it anytime. So thank you for what you're doing and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk sports with you and good luck going forward. And we're still moving this thing, trying to make it better. Never forget that that's our primary focus. Whatever we're doing, we can always do better. And I, I believe that. I truly believe that. So we'll be working on it. I want to thank CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygod for joining us and sharing his insight on the postseason and the future and the direction for baseball here in the Southern Section. We'll have another podcast for you next week where we'll take a closer look at the opening rounds of the CIF Southern Section postseason. Until then, we'll see you at the yard.